0: I'm Damien Venuto. It's September 20th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. As Vladimir Putin's war against Ukraine rages on, the world watches in horror. His attempts to poison opposition politician Alexei Navalny offered a glimpse at what the man was capable of. Film director Daniel Raw followed Navalny in the aftermath of that assassination attempt and got incredible insight not only into the evil Putin was capable of, but also his habit for strategic blunders. So what does this say about our perceptions of Putin in the West? And what does this mean for the Russian and Ukrainian people as they continue to battle? Daniel Raw joins me now for a discussion about what we can learn from one man's attempt to stand up against the so-called strongman of Russia. Daniel, to start with, who is Alexei Navalny and what got him into politics and made him want to challenge someone like Putin?
1: Alexei Navalny is a Russian politician. He's the leader of the Russian opposition, who came of age in a very turbulent time in Russian history. The Soviet Union was dissolving and transitioning to the Russian Federation. And what he saw out of that transition from the promise and hope of that democracy in the 90s, what he saw instead was autocrats and tyrannical figures as he, as he saw them, corruptionists take power in his country. And the main individual who he was responding to was Vladimir Putin. And he always saw Putin as a really bad dude, a KGB thug who by a fluke and contortion of history rose to become the president of the country and was able to solidify his grip on power. The reality that we're living through now with this war in Ukraine and the brutality and incompetence of the Russian army really exemplifies Navalny's worst fears, what he anticipated this man was capable of. Navalny grew and became an anti-corruption fighter and figure. He was really good at utilizing the internet and social media to advance his political agendas, which was exposing corruption in Russia. The regime did not like this activity, and he found himself in the crosshairs of the Kremlin. Um, And uh, it was that contention and their hatred of his work and what he was doing, they viewed him as an enemy of the state, that was the inciting incident of the story I told in my film. Remarkably, Vladimir Putin faces a legitimate opponent, Alexei Navalny. I don't want Putin being president.
2: If If I want to be a leader of a country, I have to organize people.
0: Given everything that Navalny knew about Putin, what drove him to return to Moscow in January 2021? He knew he'd be arrested. Did he think it was possible that he'd still be imprisoned at this stage and still separated from his family?
1: Look, I think Navalny understands the Russian political reality better than anyone. And I think he went home with both eyes wide open. He had a sense of the consequences, but to Alexei Navalny, staying out of Russia was too great a gift for the Kremlin, too great a gift for Putin. They tried to murder him, they failed. The next best option would have been his self-imposed exile. He didn't want to gift them with such a victory. So he bravely and heroically and selflessly, driven by his extraordinary convictions, decided to go back to Russia. I think that his expectation was that he would certainly go to prison. I don't think he could have anticipated how history would unfold in regards to this war and how that changes the calculus of his situation. But I think he understood that he has more power as a political prisoner in Russia than he would have as a free man in exile.
0: Daniel, could you let us know where Navalny is now and what his situation is?
1: It's bleak. It's a very challenging situation that Navalny currently finds himself in. About three months ago, he was moved from a very bad penal colony outside of Moscow, about two hours outside of Moscow, to a very, very, very bad penal colony, about six and a half hours outside of Moscow. Navalny's attorney-client privileges have been revoked. He's no longer able to privately communicate with his lawyers. And that means any connection to the outside world no longer exists. He is entitled as a prisoner to uh, visit with his family every four months. Those visits have been canceled and the regime have been keeping him in a solitary confinement cell that's about 8 feet by 10 feet. He's not allowed to sit down during the day. They are depriving him of his basic human rights, and he is being tortured. Uh, What I can say is that the spirit and character of Navalny are forged in iron, and I certainly hope that his humor, his elegance, and his good nature is surviving like I can only imagine to be a brutal treatment.
0: In the film, you see Putin multiple times avoiding the use of Navalny's name, calling him that patient in Berlin. Does this show that Putin is slightly rattled by the threat of Navalny, or is he just trying to dehumanize the competition in that classic propaganda approach that we often see from autocrats?
1: Well, Putin is uh, unquestionably rattled by Navalny. We see this in his actions. He proved and greenlit The operation to murder him is how rattled he is. I think it goes without saying that Putin fears the charisma and likability that Navalny possesses. Navalny ran in one legitimate election. I'm putting that in brackets and quotes, but in one election in Russia, he was allowed to be on the ballot. He started off the race polling at 2% in opinion polls, and he finished with 27% of the vote. That was from Moscow's mayoral election. He is very good on social media. He's very good at galvanizing and harnessing the power of young people, and he is historically quite capable of getting people out on the streets. The Kremlin doesn't like any of this, um, and that's why they tried to murder him. Come on,
2: poisoned? I don't believe it. Like, he's back. This is Alexei. Putin's supposed to be not s- so stupid to use this Novichok. His wording, his explosive, his intonation. If you want to kill someone, just shoot him. Jesus Christ. Like, real Alexei. It's impossible to believe it. It's kind of stupid. The, the whole idea of poisoning with a chemical weapon, this is why this is so smart. Because even reasonable people, they refuse to believe, like, what?
0: Come on, poisoned. In a classic example of Putin's bravado, he did say that if Russia had tried to poison Navalny, they would have succeeded. Was that also just a way of putting out a denial, or was it just another example of posturing?
1: well it's just another example of putin's profound endless well of incompetence he says if we wanted to finish off we would have finished him off well not only did they not finish him off but they failed spectacularly and then some moron from putin's security services the successor agency to his beloved kgb told alexei the entire plot on a prank phone call in one stunning scene in the film do I think Putin was blustering or thumping his chest? I think he is creating for himself an alternate reality. And it's the same reality we see playing out in Ukraine.
0: When you look at the mythology around Putin, even the West has bought into this idea that he is a strategic mastermind. Where do you think that comes from when you look at all these mistakes that he's made when he's trying to execute these difficult things?
1: Well, first and foremost, I think that's changing. I think that the war in Ukraine is perhaps the greatest geopolitical blunder certainly of this century so far, but I think the myth of his strategic abilities and capabilities come from the fact that he has been able to stabilize Russia, which is a country that is historically not a stable place. And he has domestically been able to create the myth and veneer of his own success by improving economic conditions. But I think in this moment in history, more than any other, we can see through that veneer with vivid clarity.
0: You've already touched on the poisoner who admitted his entire plot via a prank phone call, but do we know what happened to those poisoners after that phone call?
1: Well, we'll never know for sure. Our very best guess is that they've been killed because of their incompetence and the embarrassment they've caused. They certainly dropped off the earth and ceased to exist in in any meaningful way. It's stressful to think about what may have become of that individual, Konstantin Kutratsev. This is a guy who went around his country assisting in the murder of opposition politicians and people who have different opinions about the world and different thoughts and different perspectives this is a guy who probably was 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 responsible uh, an accomplice to dozens of murders so am i sad that he committed one of the most extraordinary lapses in the history of the Russian security agencies and probably had to be killed for it, I can sleep very comfortably at night. He made his bed and he has to lie in it and it's probably six feet underground in some cold frozen earth in Siberia.
0: Daniel, in some ways, your documentary feels like an observation on the relationship between media and politics. So on the one hand, you have Putin's control of state media, and on the other, you have Navalny using very Western forms of media to talk to people. So given the complexity of those two media environments operating at the same time, how do the Russian people even go about finding truth in such a messy environment?
1: I think that for an older generation of Russians who don't have access or are not as nimble on the internet, it's particularly challenging. But I think for a lot of young Russians, they are able to access news of the outside world and certainly news from Navalny's organization. But the questions that you're asking about the nature of disinformation and trying to discern what to believe is not a question that exists solely in the context of Russia. This is something that is very, very relevant in the West. You know, In the United States, for example, there was a political philosophy, a political movement, that was framed around alternate facts. I think that what we're speaking to here is just the need and necessity for a well-informed citizenry who can apply critical thinking to the biggest political issues of the day. But that seems to be a tall order.
2: There was a lot of pressure for us to start investigating. Uh, media partners in Russia reached out to us and said, can you help? We looked at it and we thought, there's no hope in hell. We can investigate the crime that happened in Russia in the remote corners of Siberia, sitting here comfortably in, in Europe. We didn't even try in the beginning.
0: Navalny's investigation partners with news organisation Bellingcat, they've recently been banned in Russia. Why have they only been banned by the Kremlin now? Is this just another example of an oversight by the Kremlin?
1: You know, I think for many, many years, the Kremlin was able to weaponize Bellingcat. The Kremlin was able to caricature them as not a legitimate news organization, which they are, but in fact, agents of the West. The Kremlin would say that they are affiliated with the CIA or they're affiliated with MI6 or intelligence agencies of that ilk. And that was useful for the Kremlin for a time. My thought is that now they have become so dangerous with the work that they're doing in regards to helping to document war crimes in Ukraine, for example, that the Kremlin had no other choice. At the
0: start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we did see a lot of protests across Russia against the war. What's the situation like on the ground at the moment? Is there more dissent than what we're seeing? Or are the people of Russia very afraid of standing up against Putin?
1: The impression I get from Russian friends is that the Kremlin is working very hard to cultivate a business as normal sensibility in Russia, in the country. Most of the war dead don't come from Moscow and St. Petersburg. Most Russian soldiers who have died in this conflict come from the outer reaches of the furthest regions of the country. So I think for most Russians living in Moscow and St. Petersburg, they don't have a full understanding of what is going on.
0: Recently, we have seen 30 Russian municipalities sign a petition calling for Putin to resign. Do you think that Navalny has to some degree paved the way for people to start standing up against Putin and to show a resistance to his autocratic regime?
1: I think that there are many individuals from Boris Nemtsov to Viktor Karamuza to Alexei Navalny who have been the canary in the coal mine of sorts, speaking out against this regime and advocating for regime change in Russia. But I think certainly Navalny's unquestionable bravery and decision to go back and his unrelenting campaign against this regime is amongst not just the loudest but the most effective so i think without question he has in a way inspired the political ethos of the progressive left in the country not even the progressive left just just of good people who are wanting this egregious war to end
2: come on daniel no, no way. It's like you're making a movie for the case of my death. Uh, let's make a thriller out of this movie, and in the case I would be killed, let's make a boring movie of memory.
0: Navalny is incredibly charismatic, so was it difficult for you to make this film so that it was your film rather than his film? And how did you strike that balance where, when it came to telling his story?
1: Well, it's a very simple Calculus. I had Final Cut. Final Cut was vested with the filmmakers. That was a precondition for me for making the movie in the first place. And that was really critical for us. And the reason why it was so important is, as you pointed out, Navalny is a complex and compelling figure. He is someone who is power hungry, very much seeking the presidency of the world's biggest country. And so it it was certainly a prerogative of mine to litigate and examine elements of his background, some which I am not comfortable with. But to his credit, he's someone who believes in the value and virtue of dialogue and conversation and discussion. And so there was nothing that I couldn't ask him. He obviously hasn't seen the film, being that he is in a gulag outside of Moscow, but his team had no editorial control over the film itself.
0: On the topic of areas of Navalny's history that are slightly more complex, you do push him on his relationships in the past with white nationalists. Do you just want to touch on the discomfort in that conversation that you had with him?
1: Well, certainly. I mean, here is a guy who understands the political calculus of Russia much better than I do. And it is his political calculus that in order to create and, and, and construct a broad-based coalition to defeat this regime he needs to appeal to every facet of the russian opposition that's both progressive elites in moscow and also as he feels elements of russian nationalists and unsavory characters that i myself am definitely not comfortable with that's a political calculus he's made and what i found as a filmmaker is that i can simultaneously understand why he made that political calculus and disagree with it and feel uncomfortable with it and i think it is that tension and conflict that makes the film even more interesting. It makes Navalny an even more interesting character.
2: If I want to fight Putin, if I want to be a leader of a country, I cannot just ignore the huge part of it. Well, there are a lot of people who call themselves a Okay, let's discuss it. We're living in the country when they are poisoning politicians and killing people and uh, arresting people for nothing. Uh, so, of course, I am totally fine to sit with the guy whose rally looks kind of not very good for me
0: you've talked of doing a sequel to this film what do you have in mind
1: well i want to make a sequel to this film and and the film that i want to make is a better campaign and that's the campaign for the first democratically elected president in the history of the russian federation and it is certainly my hope that alexei navalny is able to run in that election i don't know if he wins or loses Uh, I don't know if he's the best man for the job. That's up to the Russian people to decide. What I hope and what I think is that Navalny's mark on the history of Russia is not yet fully realized. It is my hope he survives this ordeal. You know that he is in a very perilous spot right now. He's in a very dangerous place. I hope that he's able to survive, and I hope that he is able to run in the democratic election.
0: Thanks for joining us today, Daniel, and I really hope that we do get to see that sequel of yours. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look Behind the Headlines.